Hey, what's up, friends? Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number five, Mike Mains. Mike is the frontman for the indie rock band, Mike Mains in the Branches. And in this episode, we talk about how he got his start into songwriting, how he's developed his craft over time, and how he has this disciplined regimen to stay focused and stay creative. So let's jump into it. Episode number five, Mike Mains. When I listen to your music, you know, before I met you, and I remember being, I think I was in Cincinnati at like a venue or club and like your video came on and one of the guys there was like, oh, they were just through here. They were really good. And your music is, you know, when I listened to it, I was like, wow, this is really honest. And then I met you and I was just like, this is an, this is who he is. This is Mike, <clears throat> you know, and it's, it's weird. I didn't, we didn't say a word to each other yet, but I felt like I knew you and Sometimes you can feel that with music and their songwriting, and sometimes you can feel a detachment when you meet them. Yeah is, yeah. is that a conscious effort? Like when you decided to write songs that you were like, I'm going to write it from an honest place? I, I was just, you know, trying to make as much money as I could and be as fake as possible, <laughs> you know, to get just to get to the top. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I guess so. Um, for me, when I, when I first started writing, you know, poetry and, and songs and all of that in school, it, uh, it was never, I guess it was never a, a decision like this is who I am and this, this is who I'm, you know, this is the, the person who's going to school and this is the guy that's at home writing songs. It felt more like the kid at school or, or the, you know, the guy working the job some years later when he's trying to make it were, were like lesser versions than the true version of myself, which was the, the songwriter and the, want to be rock star um and and so as as things have progressed um it's honestly it's a great question because it's something that i i think a lot less of less about but i try i think more maybe even some sometimes more than i should to always write songs that are cathartic and vulnerable and and feel like they're coming from a, coming from a real place because if not Man, I, I, I just recognize that if if the if the if the dream happens, right? Like if I write a song and that song blows up and our lives change, but I wrote a song just because I was trying to win fans and make money. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be so pissed off every night when I have to sing that song because I'm not gonna believe it. And so for me, the um, that authenticity has always been like I'd I'd rather have a humble beginning and have the slow steady you know kind of rise to each and every level that I, I hope we're able to get to um off of honest music that I believe in you know because there's songs that especially off of our most recent record I can I can picture myself singing a handful of those songs for the next 10 years and just not not getting tired of it um that was a long-winded long-winded <laughs> answer man uh, no, that's what I love about you because there's it's more than just uh oh yeah or you know oh totally you there when you listen to your music it's like ah, there you know it's authentic and then it's like I bet there's a cool story and there's a deeper meaning as you go and as that answer right there to me yeah there's always a deeper there's a deeper answer with you because that's what I find interesting every time we have a conversation when you when you talk about songwriting I was 
you know, last night I was like, oh, I want to look at some YouTube videos of Mike. And I found one of you, you know, eating a 72 ounce steak one oh, time doing man. a challenge. Yeah, dude. And then I found one where you talked about, you know, your early days of songwriting that when you were in high school, you took a choir class. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, and then at that same juncture, you were doing poetry and those two worlds just kind of like slowly collided because even teachers saw like, Hey, there's something here that they yeah. don't see yeah yeah they they saw something i i didn't see which which is where all the little hamsters on the treadmills in my brain started to accelerate and run a little faster but and that was okay so there's this you know the landscape of my childhood was 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 painful uh to say the least so i moved around quite a bit when I was young and did not have a great relationship with, with my old man. And, uh, that's a whole other podcast. It's a 10 part Mike's very dramatic, uh, whiny emo kid podcast. But, um, so with all of that, I, I, I had all of this energy that was, was built up. You know, I think about kind of like our internal landscape, like a container and you, you've got a hundred percent, you can fill it up with whatever you want. We've, we've got free will, and you can throw negativity and, and resentment in there. But when you're young, there's a lot of people putting stuff in there that you didn't ask them to. And then as you get older, you have to learn to, to screw the cap off and start taking that stuff out. So eighth grade rolls around, and here I am kind of carrying this, this doubt, this fear, this insecurity, um, and a lot of this pain. And then poetry comes along. And finally, I'm feeling lighter and and more focused and and more confident because I'm I'm getting A's and uh, my teacher is pulling me aside and telling me like you have a gift you have a gift this was just published I'm like I don't even know what the word publish means could you elaborate you know and then uh, I take the choir class and I I get flying colors in that class and my teacher pulls me aside and so from there that that's where you know ooh melody and lyric Hmm. What if I stitch those two together? Uh, what What would that do? And I've honestly, you know, many many years have gone by, and I, I haven't looked back. But it's still, for me, principally the same. And that is, um, on any given day, I have a roller coaster of emotions drifting from. Uh, I'm going to be dead in a hundred years. Life feels meaningless. <laughs> what am I doing sitting here drinking a cup of coffee when there's children dying in Africa? to what a wonder it is to be alive and be human and there's a beautiful butterfly flying around in the backyard it just it's it's all over the place but songwriting and and creativity to me are are my ways of uh, giving giving space to that so that it doesn't become uh, another thing on, on, you know, inside my personal container, just kind of weighing me down. You know, it's uh, it's taken that negative energy and the positive and the and all all forms of energy that life kind of throws at us, and then and repurposing them. It's almost like you, if it's if you have this, you know, this container and there's all these hoses connected to you, you can't really de decide if you're gonna, you know if your pool is going to break or if the, the tires on your car are going to blow out, that's like super negative energy. But for me, songwriting is like attaching another hose where that energy can come into me and then out of me through a song 
And what was once me being pissed about my car breaking down is now a song about how things are going to get better. And some mom in Cincinnati, Ohio can listen to it and go, okay, I, I can do yoga this morning and then I'll <laughs> deal with my screaming kids, you know, <laughs> hopefully. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> and, and from when you were in, so around that period in eighth grade, when you started like recognizing like, ah, oh, this, this is an outlet for these things that, you know, processing chaos and stillness into songs, were you... Uh, really like into music were there particular genres or songs that you were listening to where you were like starting to envision i think of when i hear john lennon he saw elvis presley in, in, in a movie and then he was watching him play and he was like that's a good job right there i need to do that <laughs> were you were you at this point where as this was starting to evolve starting to go with that imagery of like you know what this is this is something i can do and i'm gonna run with it yeah yeah that that's where eighth grade eighth grade is where it clicked for me f for the first time like i'm never i'm never gonna do anything but but music um but i was still you know when i i grew up in a a, a farming community and and so the idea of going to college for songwriting songwriting wasn't even like a thought in the galaxy I lived in. Like, you know, it's like you go and you get a, a business degree and you come back and you run your family's farm. Like that, it, it was so, there was no way. I mean, the internet was in, like came out when I was like still in school or, or, or growing up, you know what I mean? It wasn't, I didn't have my first cell phone until I was, I, I don't know, 14 or 15. So just all of the thought in that I could the idea that I could even conceive of going somewhere to have higher education at songwriting didn't didn't exist. So um, at that point, eighth grade, I'm still thinking, well, maybe I'll be a producer. I know that people record music. Um, and then everything changed in tenth grade. At that point, I'd started a couple of bands. Uh, at this point, I'm living down in Bellevue, Michigan, about thirty minutes outside of Battle Creek. And all my friends and I are listening to bands like The Used. Well, my, my favorite band at the time was Blink-182, and, I, and I, I shamelessly still love them. I, I think they're better with Matt Skiba, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, and we went to the show to see three bands. The band opening was called Every Time I Die. Second band was this band out of Bloomington, Indiana, who's still going, called Murder by Death. Some, one of my oh, favorite yeah. bands. And then Thursday, uh, they were touring their album Full Collapse, and 400 sweaty kids all wearing black dickies, Adidas Sambas, and like black, you know, Atticus t shirts. And uh, that was the first time that I realized, you know, sitting, you know, I'm standing in the intersection around 400 other people who looked like me, felt like rejected like me, and they're singing their guts out to to these Thursday songs, it was like, oh, there's a whole world of people out here who feel the way that I do. Uh, and and they own a piece of this band the way that I do. Like they sit in their room alone looking at posters on their walls, dreaming of getting the heck out of this town someday. And uh, at, at that show, their singer, like there was a moment where he was screaming his guts out on one of the songs and looked straight into my eyes and like it just locked locked onto me and sang and just i mean you know that's the yeah. classic the sky splits open 
the light shines down. It's like, thou shalt do this. It was, and there was just no looking back. And from that moment on, I knew, okay, I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing that. And I will, I'll never look back. And, and I never have. Um, yeah, those are, I, I hope that, <laughs> hope that <laughs> answered the question. It does because it's inspiration at just different points in your life. And what you're describing right there is like, okay, I have these feelings. I, I have these ideas. Now I have a process in which I can uh, start to think these through. Songwriting, sometimes songwriting is just the process of thinking through your thoughts and your feelings, the chaos mm. and the stillness. And then the idea of like, you know, I can do this, like, you know, and I'm going to do this. There's no plan B. I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to go to this tech school and be like, uh, I'll just get this just in case it doesn't work out. You're like, I'm going to figure this out. But, you know, yeah. you say rule, you know, a farmland. It's still the same for somebody that grows in the city that goes, oh, you're going to go to college and you're going to get, you know, this degree in business. You may not like business, but it's a practical thing. This is what yeah. we do to just reject that and be like, no, I'm going to go follow this. There's something to it. There's something I can feel. It's tangible. There's a reason 400 kids are in this room feeling this music. Yeah. So there's yeah. got to be something. There's power in the delivery of a song because it means something to people. Yeah. And your music, you know, means a lot to people because when you sing from that honest place, that is not just relatable, but it's lasting. You're not just building like something that somebody goes, oh, that's catchy. It's a connection and almost community that you're starting to build. Mm. That that was the goal. You know, for me, building a band, having a, you know, a, a, just a group of friends and musicians that play music together and then a, f a fan base. To me, it, it, seeing fan base always feels strange. I, I view them as like friends and it, like very much a community and, and, and family. So um, it that's what I wanted. You know, my again, like my family growing up was so dysfunctional uh, that my friends felt more like family to me uh, than than my own blood. And 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 now, you know, the conversations that I have with fans after shows who talk about, you know, nearly committing suicide and then they they heard our song on the radio or you know friend relationships or marriages falling apart and they heard our music and it that was in the the change that they needed or sort of the seed that began to turn everything else around those are uh those are things i i don't take lightly like when i wake up and i still feel the weight uh i don't want to get out of bed i don't want to write another song i feel like i'm so far away from where i want to be I have to remember there are thousands of other people that care about what we're doing that feel the same way that I do, but they're looking to us for an, uh, you know another song that encapsulates what they're feeling so they can keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and not just getting through life or just surviving life, but, but getting better along the way. So... Uh, my best days are when I'm I'm mindful of that and I'm 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 writing I'm writing for them. Do, do you have steps to keep you in that creative space? Do you know at this point, after years of songwriting, the things that get you energized or inspired, and then things that can deter that process? Yeah, yeah. Um, number one, 
sounds funny, but sleep, like a really good night's sleep. Um, and then for me, I think I, I think I write my best, um, in the morning. So for me, I try to, I try to wake up, have coffee, get a workout in of some sort. It could be a walk, whatever, um, have some breakfast and then be in, be in this stu- or our little home studio that we just built here, and um, try to be in here anywhere between nine in the morning and ten, and then I'm I'm in here most days from ten until sometimes ten or eleven on and off. Um, but that way, you know, for me, if I can do meditation and take a walk and have a slow morning where I'm listening to music and I'm journaling and just feeling like I'm able to kind of screw my head on straight. Then when I, when I sit down to write, I feel clear. Um, and, and I don't have a lot of, a lot of baggage kind of between me and whatever it is that I'm trying to say. And, um, and I think there's probably people it would work the opposite for, right? They're like, well, the, the baggage is good. That's what I, I write about. And for me, I, I view, I used to view writing like I have all of this, all this stuff that's wrong with me and I'm trying to like kind of find a place for it. And now it's, it's, it's turned even, I guess, like I've heard Dylan talk about it a lot where um, he's just, he's trying to identify narratives and then write a song full of characters that represent those narratives. So for me, irony is, is compelling. And, you know, the state of our, you know, politics, everything that's going on in the world. So I'm, I'm reading like Time magazine and trying to figure out how do I address this, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a lot heavier. And and, and so uh, I guess a, my goal in wanting to have a clear mind uh, and, and a focused mind is so that, you know, if if I feel inspired that day to write a song that's, you know, like a folk you know, kind of like a folk protest song, if that's what I feel like is is coming at me. Uh, do I have the 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 sober mind, the the clear mind to be able to to bring that out? Um, yeah, yeah. That is, it, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. No, I've heard I've heard so so much about that book. I need to need to read it. It's it's interesting because what you're talking about the the clarity piece like being very conscious of you know whether you do meditation mindfulness and you're kind of like clearing that space. She talks about the idea of like you know concepts or creations being something that's already manifest. It's there, but if you have that clear mind, that clear space, you're more receptive to that idea and you latch onto it. And so whatever form it is, you allow it to be. And mm, you're the catalyst okay. that brings into life. And if you're too clouded, if you're too unaware and you you are too, no, it needs to be this, that idea chooses to go to someone else that's more receptive of mm. it. Um, and it's just interesting to me when you're taught, do you feel when you started the band, you know, and, and I guess how to word this, did you feel like there was a clear mission statement, but as you've evolved as a person, as you've allowed clarity and your, your process to change and evolve, did you feel that mission statement changed with it? Very much so. So, you know, when we started out, we were all, 
Uh, so it was myself and Shannon from Michigan, and then two two guys from from Texas. We all grew up uh, in in really evangelical with like strong evangelical roots, some more conservative and I would argue cultish than, than others. And so we, we started out feeling like we're going to play rock and roll for Jesus and proselytize the world. And we're, we weren't giving altar calls at our shows after, but we were like, we felt like the, to, we felt like this need to be like, just so you know, uh, I know our band's awesome, but we also believe in Jesus. And I look back on that now and I literally just want to throw myself off a bridge. I'm like, why was I such an idiot? Um, I'm still, as Mike Burbigley would say, brand loyal to Jesus, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not st- as stubborn as I used to be, you know. And and so the 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 overall mission change. So when we started, that was the focus, right? Like for better or worse, um, it gave us this 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 mission that unified everyone, and we just gave it everything that we had and got a crazy ton of momentum very 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 quickly and then after that you know our our bass player leaves to go and get married david our drummer leaves to go to seminary the mission went from thriving to surviving Mm -hmm. and i think we're we're i'm literally now you know so david's been gone for probably six years um and I'm, I think six years after that, I'm, I'm now finally uh, kind of getting out of survival mode and more into what, it, what is it that we're trying to do? And for, because, you know, again, we started, had major label deals on the table. We turned them all down because we didn't want to give up that much of our, of our rights. We had other deals we said no to just a lot of things we said no to because we wanted to, to be in control and i got cocky and arrogant like i'm i'm big for my too big for my britches right and then there's this massive dip in our career you know that kind of started about four to five years ago up until about a year and a half ago before we signed our most recent deal got new management and things have really started to turn around or it was just getting by and then also not really knowing, are we going to c- continue doing this? And so now when I think about like big, crazy mission statements, like how big do I want my band to get and all those, like, what am I doing? Um, gosh, I mean, yes. Would I love to sell out arenas? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to sell out theaters. I'd love to do all of that. And I think it's possible, but I don't, I think the mission for me now is I, I want to, I just want to make, you know, this fall where we're going to record our next album. And I want that to be, I guess, my, all boiling it all down. I want to listen to it and cry because I'm so proud of it and feel like there's not a lyric or a line or a note that I would change and then move on. Give it to the label. Let them put a marketing plan together. Meanwhile, I'm writing the next one um, in hopes that that music can can reach people and attract more fans less so that we can become big fat rock stars and more so, you know, the more people that are in into what you're doing, you have more sustainability. And, and so for me, the dream is to just, the focus is to just keep putting out really, really great art um, and challenging myself as a writer to not write the same song twice, um, but to keep, keep evolving. Mm. 
is, you know, it, as you live into that space now, and, you know, you said previously, you know, those missions that you wish you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Do you feel like that evolving, I guess, try and find the best way to describe that evolving, it, it, it comes out in your writing, it comes out in you. And do you find that did you feel like you were in an honest place then when you were saying that? Or was it, did it feel like it was something you had to say? It was a tagline that came with the brand or, oh, we have to live into this. Back then when, when we first started, I, I was brazen about it because I had experienced a, a wild resurrection of sorts down mm-hmm. in in Texas through a, a, an incredible pastor uh, named Mike Williams. He's been a mentor of mine now for uh, almost a decade. Hard hard to believe. And so he, I mean, when 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 I was starting the band, trying to decide if I was going to do this, I asked him what I should do, and he said, "The safest place for a ship to be is in its harbor, but that's not what it was built for." He didn't tell me to go. He didn't tell me to stay. But those words and that quote, uh, that is what I built my life on. And and so there was the freedom that I found in, you know, in his teachings, this idea of God is not this angry, pissed off Zeus character with like a legal notepad sitting at the bar in heaven ordering Mai Tais, watching your failure on the TV and ordering another round while all of the angels like look down on you and laugh because you're definitely going to burn in hell forever. Right. Like he, (laughs) he completely changed the narrative, uh, uh, from angry God to, to loving God. And, and I, I felt compelled to introduce people to that. And then the method was music. Whereas now I, I guess in many ways I'm still, I'm still interested in in introducing people to acceptance and beauty and rest and forgiveness and but less in terms because I'm trying to proselytize them into uh, one particular particular religion and and more so because I'm caught up in the wonder of what it means to be alive and uh, I I want people whoever they are wherever they're from whatever their religious preferences um to know that they're inherently worthy of love that they're okay that their best days are still ahead of them and uh hopefully they can listen to the heart heartbreak in our music as well as the beauty and the joy and and find find out that they're not alone and and what they're what they're experiencing um yeah i love that because it's 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 almost like you're telling the listener that how you are right now in this moment is fine. You don't have to do anything extraordinary. You don't have to jump over hoops. But the the current now, the position that you're in and who you are is absolutely fine. Yeah, because if you don't, if I've learned any anything about myself or just, you know, personal change or whatever it is, career related or not, you have to, you you've if you spend all of your life trying to be someone else that you're not what you're really doing is operating from an internal deficit that's causing you 
to spin your wheels in the grass your entire life because what you're really saying is, I don't believe I'm enough. I don't think I'm a good person. I don't think that I'm worthy. I don't think that I'm valuable. But if I do these things, then I'll be enough. Well, you're still perpetuating an idea that you're not enough, and therefore you'll never be enough. It's cyclical. But if, if you can, you know, if I can go and play a show that, that makes an alcoholic leave uh, and get involved in a 12-step program because they, fi- they can finally believe that, you know, there's freedom for them or uh, somebody who is, is about to, to end their life. You know, they, they, they finally believe actually, no, like I, I, I'm valuable. I'm not, I'm not all these lies I keep telling myself. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm still doing my job. Do you think that songwriters get in the trap of the comparison trap, I guess? Because what you're describing is once you accept the idea that, oh, who you are right now is fine where in that world of creation you can fall into the trap of comparing your song to this or somebody says you got to stay on top of the charts look what's charting right now you're not writing that that's not valuable yeah. that's not worth it yeah it's it's a dark i mean and it's a hard battle i deal with it a ton and i think i've i'm i'm understanding it now more than ever and realizing that it never ever ever goes away uh, something that helps me too, though, is, um, gosh, who who was it that I, I heard saying this? Um, learning, uh, gosh, I can't remember, but it was like uh, Rob Bell told the story about carrying around two index cards, like one in your one in your right that says, uh, "I'm a student," and then the other one uh, says, "I am from the dust." And so, you know, when we get caught up in comparison or like, let's say you you make a mistake and you fail and you and you miss it, uh, you pull out the index card that says, I'm a student. It's I'm a student. I'm I'm a I'm I'm a disciple of this, you know, this path of life, this way towards, you know, growing and becoming the person that we were meant to be. I'm, I'm learning. And then but if I look around and. Other bands who are smaller than my band or other songwriters who are less successful and I start to feel like, man, I'm awesome. I'm definitely doing better than they are. Pull out the other card. You're from the dust. You're going to be dead within the next hundred years, buddy. Cool down. So that it helps me because I recognize either way I lose if I play that game. And and the, that kind of that, that mental checklist helps me because I... If I look around and I compare myself for long enough, I'll feel like literally a complete failure uh, in my career. And yet I recognize I live in a house in a mortgage. I pay my mortgage off of rock and roll. We live in Nashville and I get to write songs with my friends and play shows with my band. For all intensive purposes, like we did the dang thing. But it's only when I start comparing like the size of my plate to someone else's plate that I start to feel inadequate. And 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 I've had friends say, yeah, Mike, but you you feel like a failure because you're not where X, Y, and Z is. But don't you know that there are literally thousands of people that would cut off limbs of their body to be where you are? And uh, and that kind of helps me go, okay, I, I, I want to fill my days with gratitude 
And instead of being distracted by what I don't have and who I'm not, be thankful that I, I can wake up next to a beautiful woman who loves me and cares about me. Be grateful that I have a room full of gear that I can go to at any time and, and write and record and those songs can get out into the world. Um, that kind of keeps my head screwed on straight, but sure, certainly doesn't mean that I don't don't uh, dance with jealousy. Uh, before we started recording, I was thinking in my head, I know Mike's going to say stuff that's going to make me go, God, I love him even more. <laughs> and it's, uh, but I, and next time I see you, I feel like I need to get you a crocheted pillow that says, I pay my mortgage with rock and roll. Because that is <laughs> such a good, I love that. Um, to me, you know, where you are, you have to have, you know, you talked about some mentors, you know, you had that pastor. Are there mentors now too that keep you inspired that just... When you're looking to, for to, you know, my well's getting a little dry. That you know you need to go to someone to kind of stir you up a little bit. Yeah, there's um, music musical mentors. Um, the the big one is our producer Nathan Hurst, and he's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. There's like a three different, I guess, ways to describe a relationship. But definitely a mentor, big bro. Um, my greatest songwriting partner we wrote a lot of uh the last album together we've written a lot of the new record together um just who he is as a human being and a father and a husband and, mm -hmm. and as, as a guy who's so deep and deeply connected to his his community back home um he is is a is a consistent uh, living example of the kind of man and person I want to be and uh, is also just an insane songwriter and, and producer. And so he he really, really inspires me. Um, and then another guy is a, is a guy in Michigan, a songwriter in, from Michigan named Ben West. Um, he's just an insane producer. Um, is, I mean, he's written for a lot of amazing people like Lady Annabellum and uh, Marin Morris and Pink, like some insane people. And I heard, I never heard this from him, but I've heard this from people that he, like that Morrissey asked him to, to play keys for him. And he was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> like, who says no to Morrissey? If it's true, it just makes him way cooler. But he um, he's just this kind of this really quiet docile like zen guy who can play circles around anybody i know musically and is it a brilliant producer and songwriter but who is extremely humble and has given me a lot of advice that i've i've taken over the years and um just kind of he reminds me consistently just just and this these aren't even necessarily conversations i've had with him but just when i think about him I know, all right, Ben's just always working. You know, he's he, he makes time for his family. He's there for his wife. He's there for his kids. But if he's not doing that, he's just putting in the time to, to be the best that he can be because he, he views his life as a privilege and what he has, he's grateful for. But what's gotten him there is some some good relationships and also him just being a master craftsman at what he's doing. And so I would say those two guys um, are are huge and instrumental, and less of a, a mentor, but just 
my biggest inspiration uh, is is Shannon. You know, my wife. She's been with me through thick and thin. You know, so I I tell everybody my greatest trick was convincing her it was a good idea to marry me. The next one is can is is you know spending the next however many years, you know, convincing her it was a good idea. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but she is she is my light. Oh, again, so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you just say so many profound things. You just, just it, and it's how you talk right now. When I listen to your music, I'm like, yeah, that is that is Mike through and through. Um, so the single you released during quarantine, gonna get mm-hmm. through this. What was what was? I mean, the the we're gonna get through this. But what brought that about? You know, the concept and creation. Yeah, our Nathan, uh, Nathan and I were talking about. Yeah, what the heck is going on in in the world? And we wanted to write something that gave voice to how he was feeling, how I was feeling. Everyone, you know, it 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 felt at first when it really started to break because no one had a had a clue as to how it was all going to shake out. It felt apocalyptic. We wanted to write a song that gave voice to that. And originally, we were just going to write it for like TV and film unless for like my my band's project but for it to just be something that we could give to um our our teams and they could you know show it to tv and film supervisors or whatever but uh then our management listened to the song and and felt it it was really special so they sent it to our label and they loved it and they really wanted to put it out so we just said okay um but that song was born one morning after coffee, thinking about a conversation Nathan and I had had about that, and wanting wanting to to give voice to what what I imagined people were going through. And the lyrics to the first verse and the chorus came pretty quick, and so I just scratched that out on a voice memo and sent it to him, and then he sent back uh, a track after we flushed out lyrics together on a Zoom call. And then I recorded all the vocals here in this room uh, on this microphone that I'm talking to you on. <laughs> and uh, and then we got it mastered and put it out, you know. It's just what, because just how you're saying right now, I recorded vocals, you know, right here on this mic. How much for, you know, since technology has changed, has music been quicker to record and like concept and ideas can come faster for you? Has it changed? Uh, yeah, as far as uh, during the pandemic or, or just, or just in general, just even the technology that we have now, just not in pandemic, but even like a couple months before pandemic, how technology has changed for musicians that the connection, the creation can be done from the space that you live in. Yeah, it's that's been insane because I've got, I, I couldn't tell you what any of the companies or the plugins are that do it, but I... I've done sessions where I have a session open in Logic, but over the internet, whoever I'm writing with can get into Logic and and move stuff around from their computer on the other side of town or on the other side of the country. That's just, on one hand, exciting and also like just disturbing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I don't want, I hope that technology never gets used for, for something bad, but um yeah i mean being able to connect with people on online and and write songs and and you know w- with a lot of what we've been 
we've been doing is, you know, guys and so I'll get on, I'll do a session and, and, and we'll write a song, just a couple of guys and acoustic guitar. And then someone will send me a drum loop. I'll record guitars and bass and, and vocals over that. And Shannon, maybe she'll throw piano on it and we send those files back. Listen, everybody likes it. Cool. Send those files off to get mixed. Cool. Mastered. Cool. And then we deliver them to, to, you know, label or whoever's going to rep those songs but none of us have left our houses to do that and yeah um that's still i mean that i don't know why i mean i'm that shouldn't be as amazing to me as it is but it's just really cool that i can i can wake up in the morning sit in a room write a song with someone remotely and then bounce all of those files around the internet and then eventually you go to Spotify and hit play. That's just still really cool to me. <laughs> and and it's amazing because you're in control of your space, like where you record. Do you feel like that also affects some of the things in creation when it's just your space? You have control of what it looks like. You have control of what's around you. And it's no longer just like, ah, oh, this studio right here, but it's yours. Yeah, 100%. And that, that's been... I've, I have my dream like studio writing space now that I've wanted for forever. And, and, um, that the, the dream and for, for me was I wanted to have everything plugged in and, and ready to hit record so that if, if I'm, if I'm sitting in the studio and I'm like, okay, I want to pull something up on the synth. Well, Shannon has a profit or a microcord or her Nord or whatever, or mm-hmm. her Juno. And it's all plugged in. It's all wired, and I have a template in Logic so that if I if I get inspired, I just I can hit record, and and all of those sounds are dialed in. Same goes for my amp. Same goes for microphones. Everything, and that helps me because I know I know where everything is, and I know kind of my basic sounds that I want, um, and it just it helps me stay inspired. And of course, the more that I the more time that I spend in the room, I'm always looking for ways to to expedite my my process so that, um, especially you know, when it comes to more recording music and producing and less writing, when you when when you're at that stage, you know, there's this apple spinning rainbow of death or uh, <laughs> a number of things that can go that can kind of get in your way, um, but when it's when it's your own space, you can you can identify and troubleshoot and 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 remove a lot of those issues so that when you're creating it's as as it's as much of a flow as possible. I I really I try to try to keep that that flow going as much as possible. So good. Um I could talk to you for hours. Um uh, <laughs> but um because I feel like you're always giving me book recommendations and things to think about where I'm like I need to think about that thing for like the next six months. Mike just said something that made me go. Uh, so uh, as we wrap up, I want to know, so you're getting ready to record in fall. What other mm-hmm. projects or what things are you working on right now? Yeah, so um, I've got a project starting this week uh, with a gal named Lauren Walkenfeld. She's an amazing artist out of Cincinnati, Ohio, kind of Phoebe Bridgers-ish. Uh, she reminds me of Phoebe, a uh, big thief. Pine Grove, Little Death Cab, kind of those those kind of bands, and uh, I'm producing an EP for her over the course of this next month. Uh, a couple other EPs, and then 
uh, for some other artists. And then, yeah, basically all of September uh, and October through the half, I guess, halfway through November, that that two, two and a half month period is just going to be finishing the writing and and producing of, of our next album. And I'm 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 really I'm I'm like terrified, nervous, all all the different emotions. I'm excited about it. Um, but that that I think that's the key when it's you know it's something good when you're mixed with that. I don't know whether to feel joy or complete terror, and I kind yeah. of feel both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, thank you for taking the time to to be honest to share your story. It's to me, I, I always love talking to you, but being able to share this for people that maybe know your music or maybe have never heard of you, um, where can they find most of your stuff right now? Good old, good old Spotify, uh, Apple Music. Uh, those are the, kind of the good places you can check us out on on Instagram, Mike Mains Music on Instagram. And, and uh, yeah, you got a full uh, album that came out in 2019, When We Were In Love released on tooth and nail and you have a new single going to get through this and new album slated sometime maybe next year yeah 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 <laughs> awesome thanks for being here man it's a privilege man thanks so much mike That was so good i i learned more about mike and it was just fascinating to me uh one of the first times I met Mike was at a cookie table at a friend's wedding. And even in that moment, I was just like, you and I are going to be friends. We, bo we both kind of felt that. So I'm glad he could be here. How many times have you run across this scenario? You have an amazing melody. You're excited. You grab your guitar and you think, what chord should I use? Where should I start? You don't even know. And you start gravitating to just like the same things that you use. And it just doesn't fit. Don't worry, because that's a scenario that I see over and over and over. I have a module over at Songwriting for Guitar Insiders where I show you how to write chords to an existing melody. How should you start doing it? What are the steps you should take? So when you sign up for the Songwriting for Guitar Insiders group, you're going to get access to that module, a host of others, plus every month I give you a new skill building module. You'll get access to an awesome community of folks that you can start connecting with, sharing ideas, and start collaborating with. Just go to songwritingforguitar.com and sign up for the Songwriting for Guitar Insiders group. If you've been enjoying these episodes, please give us an amazing review on iTunes. Every single one helps tremendously. This episode was edited and produced by Chris Vifalius. I'm Mike Myers. Until next time.